1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That is the reading of God's word. Father, we, um, we are here today um, on this uh, Memorial Weekend, um, mindful of the good gifts that come down from you, the Father of Lights, mindful that, um, that in your providence you've allowed us to live in um, a country such as United States of America, um, grateful for uh, men and women that have um, that have uh, died um, to protect our freedoms. And God, we uh, give a greater amen, uh, a more eternal amen to the reality and the truth. That, Lord Jesus, you came not to be served, but to serve. That you, um, who knew no sin, became our sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. So, God, I pray we're here today to make much of you. You, the only one who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory, the one who holds this nation together, the one whom every blessing comes. And so, God, I pray that as we, um, as we talk today about um, service and servants, God, we want to be mindful of the ultimate servant, the ultimate deacon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve us in lasting ways, so that we would never perish, that we'd never be snatched from your hand, that we have a sure hope as a result of it. So God, have your way with us here this morning. May you be honored and glorified. May these uh, dear ones here today be edified and leave here today more in love with you, more of a greater understanding of your love for them. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here today that is um, maybe dignified, uh, maybe have, has good character, uh, but has yet to put their full faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, God, I pray that today would be that day. And I pray, God, that you would receive all the glory. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. I heard there was a motorcycle parade going on out there. How many of you experienced that? About half of you did. Man, that's great. Sounds, sounds fun. Um, those, those words on the screen that were up above the screen that you couldn't see the top line, that was the result of a deacon. So, so, so I wanted to say right up front that deacons are so loved, so appreciated, so valued, but are so far from being perfect, um, unlike the elders. I know I'm just... <laughs> We, um, if you're new with us here today, we're, we're teaching through 1 Timothy, and uh, 1 Timothy is um, all about the overarching um, um, plan of the Lord um, 
the overarching purpose of this book of First Timothy, let me start all over, is to teach the proper ordering and conduct of the church. That's what First Timothy is about. It's to, it's to teach us the proper ordering and conduct of the church. It's really a blueprint of sorts for the church of Jesus Christ. Um, not a blueprint for this building, but a blueprint on how we're to conduct ourselves and uh, how the church is to be ordered. Last week, we looked at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, where Paul laid out the qualifications for an elder. And to better understand the passage, we examined the scriptures uh, where we were taught that the office of elder, overseer, pastor, are all the same office. It's, it's all the same function in office, and that a, an elder, overseer, pastor, they have one job description, and that's to shepherd. And shepherding means a lot of different things, but it's to, it's to feed, it's to lead, it's to protect. The Greek word that, that pastor is derived from is poimen, or poimen, excuse me. And elders, overseers, pastors are to poimen the body, to shepherd the body, God's body, not the elder's body. We also looked last week at the beauty of plurality of pastors, where, where two or more pastors operating in different goal, uh, roles, but in uh, equal authority. At WCC, we refer to this as equal authority, but differing, but, but no uniformity. Equal authority, but not uniformity. Listen to Paul's exhortation to the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20, verses 17 through 18, and verse 28. Paul spent three years uh, in Ephesus, and Timothy is in Ephesus. Actually, Paul is writing to Timothy while he's in, Eph uh, in Ephesus. And, um, and Paul spent three years with them, and he's given them their, their final exhortation as he uh, believes that he'll never see them again. Um, and this is Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, speaking and writing in Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said this. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Ephesus is in Asia, Asia Minor. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Isn't it interesting that he instructs the elders to pay attention first and foremost to their own lives? That they're to, they're to shepherd the body, not in blindness to their own sin and their own issues, but they're to, that they're, they're to look towards themselves first. Pay, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Whose church? God's church, which he obtained with his own blood. So we see the title elder stresses the church leader's office and their primary responsibility to shepherd and oversee the flock in plurality. The concept of, of, of uh, one man with ultimate authority over an elder board um, is not a biblical pattern, actually. Um, it can work. It does work in some cases with a, a godly man. But as we saw last week, that, that, um, that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So putting a man in position where, where all he has is subordinates rather than equals it's a potential recipe for disaster. In a similar way, churches that have not established the office of deacon, or maybe worse yet, they have the office of deacon and they've not empowered the deacons to deacon. They've not given the deacons a particular ministry to engage in they also will not be healthy, growing churches. So, so a principle of health is not to have um, one monolithic leader giving orders to the rest of the leaders. And it's also not for a plurality of elders that's operating uh, in a healthy way with a plurality of elders um, where, where everything is going through the elders, where the elders are the only ones serving the body. I'm going to give you some examples of this as we move forward. In verse 8, it says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, etc., etc. Deacons likewise mean like the elders. The elders must be qualified. 
There are character qualifications for an elder, and likewise, there are character qualifications for a deacon. And before we look at these qualifications, which are very similar to those laid out to, uh, for elders, we need to define the word deacon. What does deacon mean? And we need to understand the function and purpose of a deacon. Would that be helpful? Some of you know it. Um, my wife this morning, she goes, wow, when, 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 when I looked at the passage and I um, remembered that you usually uh, preach for about an hour and a half, she says, um, how, how are we going to sit through that uh, on deacons for that long? It's really 40 minutes if you're new, don't worry. There are gusts of 50 minutes, but it's, we try to keep it at 40 minutes. So what does the word deacon mean? In the original Greek language, the word deacon means servant. Diakonos is found 29 times in the New Testament. And in the, in the secular Greek culture in which the New Testament was formed, it normally indicated humble, even menial service such as waiting on a table. However, both Jesus and the apostles dignified the word servant by using it to describe their own roles. For example, in Mark 10, 45, Jesus says what? I came not to be served, but to serve and lay my life down as a ransom for many. Consequently, greatness in the kingdom of God means being the servant of all. In the same way, Paul defined what God had committed to him as the ministry or service of reconciliation. And Paul described himself in Colossians 1.25 as a servant of the church or a deacon of the church. That Paul was a deacon or a servant of the church. He didn't have that office, but that is a, that is the, uh, that's what he did. He served. And these passages justify J.D. Kelly's observation that every kind of service in the propagation of the gospel is in the New Testament described as a service or a ministry. All Christians are called to be deacons, actually. We're all called to be servants. We've all been given gifts, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. We've all been given gifts to serve or to edify the body. Not all are called to the office of deacon, but all are called to serve. But we're going to see, as I just mentioned, that not everyone holds the office of deacon. So what is the role and function of a deacon? I'm talking specifically the office of deacon. The Bible doesn't tell us, actually. We don't have a lot of clarity on what the, what the definite function and role of a deacon is. But we, but we have a pattern. We have a pattern that was established in Acts 6, and it seems best to view deacons as servants who do whatever is necessary to free up the elders to accomplish their God-given call of shepherding the church. So the, the role of deacons is to free up the elders so the elders can, um, can focus on the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer so that the elders can oversee the church, can lead the church, can teach the church. The early church exploded after Pentecost. Remember Pentecost, that Jesus, after he died and he rose again, he spent 40 days on the earth, appearing to over 500 people. And after, after 40 days of on the earth, he ascended into heaven. But before he ascended into heaven, he gave instructions to his disciples. And he said, go back to Jerusalem and stay there until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because he knows that without the Holy Spirit, even these well-meaning apostles and disciples would make a mess of things. Over 3,000 people after Pentecost, Peter in his great sermon in Acts 2 um, uh, uh, gave testimony to Jesus Christ being the Messiah. That Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. That Jesus Christ did in fact raise again from the dead. And 3,000 people came to faith. And the church continued to grow as further described in Acts 4, verses 32 to 35 that I want to read to you now. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. So what's happening here is all these people came to faith. And they came to faith in a way that they, they knew they had a new family. And they knew that whatever they had is not theirs but yours. And that whatever you had is not just yours but theirs. It's not communism. It's not socialism. Nobody has taken it from them. They willingly gave it. 
In verse 33, it says, And with great power the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was among them all. What's the result? There was not a needy person among them. Verse 34, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had any need. There's some dysfunction that's starting to show up early on in the church. This church is exploding. The people are giving. But you know what? The needs of the church are being met through the apostles. Everything's being brought and put at the apostles' feet. So at this point, the the 12 apostles who led and shepherded the early church wore many hats in in, in serving the growing number of believers. There was little or no evidence of an organizational structure in the early church that included the office of deacon at that time. However, we see as Scripture progresses, and Scripture always progresses. It's called progressive revelation. And in order to understand any particular passage in the Bible, you've got to understand the overall theme of the Bible. You've got to let the Bible unfold because Scripture never contradicts Scripture. So we see as Scripture progresses, a move towards a necessary order enables the Word to go forth and enables the body to continue to mature and enables the mission of the church to spring forward. So we look in two short chapters later in Acts 6 where we see that um, the the church's continued growth is a result of some people. um, Let me say this again. The, the, The church is growing and people are falling through the cracks. There's an estimate that is almost 20,000 people at some guesstimates in the church now. And everything is going through the apostles. Read with me in Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. This, this is what happens when the elders or elder try to do everything. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were not being because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Don't get hung up on Hellenists and Hebrews. These are just two different um, ethnic classes, part of the same uh, church, same community of believers. And one of them, um, one of their groups is being served. Their widows are being served. They're hungry or being fed. They're being housed. And there's this group over here that, that have people that aren't being served. And they're looking over there going, hey, why are they being served and we're not? What's, what's going on there? Verse 2, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. They, they, they called the body of believers together, and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Ding, ding, ding. Light just starts going off. We can't do it all. We can't, we can't do it all. Um, verse 3, therefore, brothers and sisters, pick from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Why would it not please them? It's like, wow, you guys can't do it all. It, it pleased them that, there was, that the work was being um, divvied out to other qualified leaders. What they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose seven, a man, uh, Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of, of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, these seven, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And you know what the result of that was? Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. People came to Christ. There was no church hopping back in that day. There was one church, and the church grew by people coming to Christ. These seven men, however, were not appointed to an office of deacon. They were appointed to serve or deek, if you will, in a capacity that would free the apostles up to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. However, at some point, local congregations started to appoint men and probably women, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes, to the office of deacon. In Paul's letter, which he wrote to the church in Philippi around 60 A.D., which is about 25 years after Pentecost, he opens his letter to the church in Philippi by greeting all the Christians in the church. Greetings. 
and he greeted all the elders in the church. Greetings, and he greeted the deacons. You see, at this point, 25 years later, there was a need for the office of deacon. It reads this, Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, letters from Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. We write to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and with the deacons. To all the Christians, to all the overseers, and all the deacons. You see, the deacon was established by the early church and became widespread because of a need for just this kind of supporting ministry. Just as the apostles delegated administrative responsibilities to the original seven, so the elders today are to delegate certain responsibilities to the deacons so that the elders can focus their efforts on shepherding the body, which includes um, uh, feeding and leading. Feeding and leading. Shepherding. As a result, each local church is, is free to, divide, to define the tasks of deacons. There's no, we don't get a list of tasks. I mean, a hundred years ago, we wouldn't need a deacon of technology, multimedia, and sound. Um, but, for, but for pastors and elders to take time to design a website, to, to make sure that, um, that the words are up there like that, praise God, thank you, Deacon Josh, to make sure that the words are up there, that there's sound where you can hear in the back, that there's a microphone that works, that there's um, good coffee out there. It's, it's different today. We live in a, in a culture where we, where we need deacons that do different things than what they might have done 100 years ago. So there's no recipe towards a um, specific job description other than to, to do things that free the pastors up for the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. In Scripture, there's only one clear and significant difference between elders and deacons. The elders exercise oversight or rule in the church of God. The deacon, on the other hand, fulfills a task that is delegated to him or her and therefore is responsible to the elders for the fulfillment of this task. Certainly this was the case in the situation of Acts 6, and there are no grounds for thinking that this fundamental factor changed in any way substantially. So the function of the deacon can be summarized as the following. Number one, to serve under the general rule and direction of the elders of the congregation. Two, to serve the church in carrying out whatever specific and specialized tasks may be assigned to him or her. And I want to just set you at ease up front that I'm saying him or her because there are, there's, there's, there's controversy that we're going to see. And, and we, we have not landed, um, we've landed kind of in the middle of this controversy. We're not willing to appoint women yet to the role of, uh, or the office of, of deacon. Um, we see that there, there might be freedom, but we're, we just, we haven't um, arrived there. And we may never, but we're, it's something we're processing. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. I just saw a few of you getting kind of squirmy as I was talking about that. I want to say this in addition. The ministry of the deacon is not some type of trial or apprenticeship to be an elder. Um, a lot of churches, um, you say, you want, to be a, you want to be a pastor elder? Well, here, be a deacon first. That's not the case. It's a different role and responsibility. It's a different role and responsibility. It doesn't mean, however, that somebody that's a deacon that can't be an elder someday, but it's not a pathway to eldership. It's not part of the, the pastor in training process. It's also not an inferior role. It's a different role. It's not inferior. One key distinction is that deacons, in these qualifications, deacons are not required to be able to teach. Now, I know some of our deacons, and they could get up here and, like, probably improve things. They, they do have the gift of teaching, but you don't have to have the gift of teaching to be a deacon. It doesn't mean that you don't have the gift of teaching. Elders need to be able to teach. All right, let's look at the qualifications. Verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. You see, the beginning of verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified. Th circle the word dignified in your Bible. And then verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Those are bookends to the three prohibitions to not be double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And to be dignified means to have honorable character that entitles to reverence or trust. 
It means that you have a, such a character, you conduct your life in such a way that you're trustworthy, that, that you're revered, that people want to follow you. That people don't just follow you because of your position, but because of your dignity. It lends itself, if you will, to reverence and trust. The ones that were appointed in Acts 6, it says that they were picked because of a good reputation. That's dignity as well. And then it goes on to say they must not be double-tongued. In other words, they must not be hypocrites, but must be honest and consistent. It says they must not be addicted to much wine. It speaks for itself. It can't be somebody that has, has, is addicted to wine. That's a, that's a drunk. They must not be greedy for dishonest gain. And this is a huge one for a deacon in particular. It's certainly a big one for elders as well, but it's a train wreck if a deacon is appointed to the office and he's greedy for, for gain. Can you imagine the, 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 the financial deacon taking that role that's greedy for gain? And we've had that in this church before, actually. Um, what didn't have the role of deacon, but had the uh, deacon-like role of finances, and um, 30000 bucks was stolen. And that's really on me, um, actually. I knew the guy well, but we didn't know him well enough. And so we want to make sure that, that deacons, like elders, are not greedy for dishonest gain. So dignity is on one bookend. Verse 9 is the other bookend. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. You see, their dignified behavior needs to be shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of men and women that are dignified, that have good character, that are good people. But it's not rooted in the gospel. It's not rooted in a desire to, to want to please and honor and glorify God. It's, it's rooted in the desire to, to, to um, have other people esteem themselves, esteem them. So they must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. They're motivated by the gospel. Not, they're not motiva- by, motivated by any type of gain. And this is a proper motiva- motivation for any Christian service. You want to know if, um, if you're a servant or not? We're all, we're all deacons. We just don't all have the office of deacon. Is, um, have you ever done something in a servant kind of way for your spouse or for your child or for a coworker for the church and it wasn't appreciated? Worse yet, you were critiqued rather than appreciated and you lose it? Um, you could, it's evidence that you're not serving with a gospel motivation. You're serving with strings attached. My wife has a saying. My wife is wired as a servant so much more than I am. And she says everybody wants to be a servant until they're treated like one. Isn't that true? Verse 10, and let them also be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And proving themselves to be blameless has time involved. And it's the same qualifier for elders. It's called that they need to be um, above reproach, which is the same as, as, as blameless. And in order to determine if they're blameless, they, their life needs to be observed. They need to be tested. And one of the tests we have at Windsor Community Church for deacons, one of the tests is, is that, that we, um, we want the man in particular to serve in the nursery for four straight years. Is there a problem with that? Three years. Okay, three years. Oh, all right, got you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then in that quota, there's a, certain qu- there's a certain quota for diapers being changed as well. Um, and then on top of that, you need to memorize the book of Revelation, and you need to be able to defend your eschatology, your end times uh, view. The test is, is that they need to be known. How do we know if somebody's blameless or above reproach without knowing them? We don't have a lot of hoops to jump through, quite frankly, to be an elder or a deacon in this church, other than these qualifications that's laid out. And we, we want to make sure that if you, if you come to us or, or you are, like, nominated by somebody, like, hey, you really ought to talk to X, Y, Z about them being a deacon, and you've only been here two weeks, and we don't know you, 
um, chances are we're not going to, well, no, not chances, guaranteed um, you won't be a deacon right now. And we'll say something like, you know what, get involved in a community group. Um, get to know people, let people get to know you. Let other people speak into your life. So the, the primary testing here to, for them to prove themselves blameless is to simply be known. And I want to remind you what I reminded you with last week. Blamelessness does not mean sinlessness. You wouldn't have any elders. You wouldn't have any pastors. You wouldn't have any deacons. And I said this again last week. I'll say it again because I think it's so profound and we need to remember this, particularly those of us that come from legalistic backgrounds. That yes, Christian, we are to stand on God's word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, in response to God's love for us, we're to obey His word. But it has nothing to do with being perfect. It has everything to do with following and worshiping the one who is perfect and watching Him transform you. It's about trajectory. It's about direction, not perfection. Verse 11, controversy, here it is. Their wives likewise, the deacon's wives likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Here in the center of Paul's list of qualifications for deacons, he includes a specific reference to women. The Greek word for wives is gune which includes both wife and woman within the area of its meaning. Therefore, there's some who see this controversial verse referring to the deacon's, that, that many see referring to the deacon's wife, and others who maintain that it's given a short list of qualifications for women who want to be deacons. So the question is, does this refer, is, are these qualifications for the deacon's wife, or are these qualifications for women who want to be deacons? Gunes. Women. At WCC, we're all about gunes. We love our gunes. We love you, women. It's great. It's not demeaning. It's actually kind of funny. And, and we want to see you spread your wings. God has given you unique giftedness. There are women, actually, that have a leadership gift that parallels a, a any man's leadership gift. There are women who teach in a way that men teach, or better, that are uniquely gifted. And we want you to serve in this church, but we want you to serve within the protected boundaries of God's Word. Therefore, it is impossible, the way that we view Scripture, for a woman to be an elder, overseer, pastor in this church. It's possible to do it in another church because they're ignoring the boundaries so clearly laid out in God's Word. I have no idea where I'm at. So we want to empower you. And there's, there, there's several reasons why this verse may possibly be referring to women as deacons rather than to the wives of deacons. Let me just lay these out for you for your consideration. The verse which follows, the, words, the verse that follows verse 11 is verse 12. And it introduces quite specifically the question of deacons' wives. Verse 12 says, the deacons are to be a husband of one wife. Now, if verse 11 is referring to the attributes to be required of a deacon's wife, the place this would be expected to be found would be after, not before, the verse which mentioned that he was to have, he was to be a husband of one wife. Secondly, it's very significant that this verse on the qualifications of women occurs in the middle of the section discussing deacons, and it has no parallel to the discussion on elders. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, in Titus 1, as it lays out the qualification for elders, nowhere in there does it, t does it tell the elders that there's qualifications for their wives. So why would they give qualifications for deacons' wives if they don't give the qualifications for elders' wives? 
The only thing I can surmise is that, that deacons typically marry unruly junes. Elders are better students. No, I'm just kidding you. You guy, uh, you rock. You, where are the other elder deacons' wives? Are you out here? Raise your hand. Present company excluded. It's a joke. I love you, ladies. Additionally, Paul commends to the church of Rome in Romans 16, 1 through 2, his sister Phoebe, a deacon. He says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, a deaconess of the church of Sanchera, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a, in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a servant, a deacon, a patron of many and of myself as well. At WCC, we're processing this. And rest assured that we will not have women in the office of deacon unless we, just, we can just see it clearly in Scripture. But in the meantime, we don't want to hold you back, ladies. We want you to deke. We want you to deke and go for it. You may, you may just not have the office. I don't know. You might have the office. We're processing this. And I hope you know that about us as elders is that, that we're going to stand on this. We're not going to rely on our emotions. We're not going to rely on culture. We're not going to change um, our opinion of the word because somebody might leave or object. We're going to stand on God's word and, the, and what we see in God's word. Verse 12. Let the deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. Like elders, a deacon must manage their home well, and they must be a one-woman man. In other words, it must be a man who is true to his vows. As with elders, the deacon candidate should manage their children and household well. There's one difference, though, between a deacon and a qualifier in this particular category. It says for the elder in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, there's a qualifier at the end of it. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for the house of God? There's not a qualifier at the end of the deacon. For elders, it's a test of character and competency. They, if they don't manage their household well, how would they manage the household of God? And for deacons, it just says they must manage their household well. There's no qualifier. Uh, how could they do X, Y, and Z? For the elders, it's their job to care for and manage and shepherd the church. For a deacon, it's not so much a matter of competency that he manages his children and household well, but it's character. And can I say this that's included in this managing, whether, whether it's the office of deacon or elder, managing their household well means that they don't take the role unless their wife is 100% on board. And you know, and that's, it's, 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 it's both, it, it's funny because I've actually made that mistake. And I know one of the other elders on our board has is that you're just charging down the road. And you look behind and your wife's like hanging on, on, the, on the pavement. So managing our household well, deacons and elders, is that you want to make sure that you are not ahead of your bride, that she is in lockstep with you. And there's several reasons for that. You are one flesh. It brings unity and harmony. It, it, um, it, um, the, the onlooking world is, is watching. What's the other one I had? And whatever else you want to imagine. It's always good for husband and wife to be on the same page. It's never good to be on a different page. Here, here's the other reason, that the woman is every bit as involved in ministry as the man is. That even though I'm an elder here, my wife behind the scenes, I couldn't do what I do. John couldn't do what he does. Chris couldn't, Pat couldn't, without our brides being fully on board. Because there's a ton of sacrifice for them. Okay, verse 13, and we'll close up here. For those who serve well as deacons, they gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Paul highlights both the value and the importance of deacons by stating two results of good service. One is that they receive a good standing, and this refers to respect and appreciation from the body from the body that they serve. They, they shouldn't do this to get your respect or your appreciation. 
In fact, many times, the reason that we're going to actually bring the deacons up here shortly is that most of us don't know who the deacons are because they're behind the scenes. And they don't want to be seen. And they don't do it to be appreciated. But, but a deacon will, res- will gain a good standing for themselves. They'll be a- appreciated by the body. And number two, they'll have a great confidence. This probably refers to the increase in confidence that comes from seeing the power of the gospel regularly proven in the ministry. And I was just thinking of, and I, and I think I can come up with an example for each of the deacons, but I was thinking of the, um, Brandon, the deacon of finance, that he gets to see things, and his team gets to see things that the elders don't see. And it, it elicits worship. He gets to see um, money come in when maybe our backs are up against the wall. And we've never even told the body that we need money and money comes in. They get to see um, the Lord working in really cool ways. And it increases their confidence and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, in this church, how is this played out in this church? This is an elder-ruled church. And what that means is, is that right now you've got four elders, pastors, overseers. And we operate in equal authority, but not in uniformity. And what does that mean? It means that any one of us can trump the other, uh, other guys. We, we always, we, we want to we leave big decisions in unity. As I explained last week, that doesn't mean that all four of us agree. It might mean that one of us sees it a different way. But at the end of the day, that one joyfully submits to the other three joyfully, trusting the other three. And as this church grows, we're like 350 to 400. That includes a couple of pregnant women. (laughs) Praise God. That I don't know how the 12 apostles did it when the church was going from 3,000 on up, 350 to 400. Um, In order for us to serve this church well, to, to lead and feed this body, to be able to um, stand firm on God's word. Um, the role of deacons is necessary. The office of deacon is necessary to, to uh, handle, to manage, if you will, uh, the needs of the body. Um, we do know this, that even as we organize, we're imperfect. We're imperfect elders, we're imperfect deacons. But we serve and we worship a perfect deacon. One who came not to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. And if you know Jesus Christ, you've been served in the most eternal way. You've been served in a way where it just kind of keeps on serving. You've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And I want to just give you a snapshot here of God's kindness to this church in raising up five deacons. All five of these guys have been on for over a year, some of them for longer than that, but I want to introduce them. And the first one is Steve McBurney. Next is Brandon McNeil. Third is Patrick Ness. Fourth is John Norlin. Five is Josh Timgen. As I'm actually reading these names, we have one other qualification that's unique to this church, is that to be a deacon here, that your last name needs to be in the last half of the alphabet. And actually, um, primarily, if it's, we, we look for people that have the last name of M or N. And Josh, again, you're an outlier. I'm not sure how you snuck in, but we're glad to have you, Tim Ginn. Steve McBurney is deacon over facilities management and upkeep. And um, what does that mean? Anything that works around here, anything that's broken, anything that's new, needs to be installed. Um, I, I could spend 40 minutes telling you what Steve McBurney does. He's a deacon of facilities, maintenance, and upkeep. He keeps us um, in line with the, with the building code. Um, he, he keeps the internet working. He does so many things. Steve is going to be leaving us, probably. Um, Steve has been, a, and his wife Jenny were part of this church um, since pretty much the beginning. Was it, was it day one? 2004, okay. Church started in 2001. And, um, and his dear wife, Jenny, went home to be with the Lord two years ago. And uh, Steve lives in a, in a big house, and uh, his uh, dear children and their spouses and grandkids are south of here. And uh, he's still led to be closer to his kids and his grandkids. And um, 
I don't know where his priorities are, but I've been praying for him. Your priorities are in the right spot, my friend. And if and when Steve leaves, when his house sells, there's going to be a major gap and hole. And so I just, I throw that out to you actually as a prayer request. If you're feeling led to be a deacon over building maintenance and upkeep, um, maybe that's the Lord speaking to you, not indigestion. Talk to Steve, uh, talk to Pastor Pat about that. And uh, I asked Steve how we could pray for him. And he said, he said, pray that God will position the ideal person to take over the facility maintenance role if and when the Lord moves me to my next assignment. And I love that because Steve's not done. There's no retirement for this guy. He may be done here, but he's looking for his next assignment. Brandon McNeil is deacon over finances. And he leads our FAT, the FAT, the financial advisory team. And that team is made up of, of all four pastors of Aaron Livingston and uh, Eric Coet. And, um, and Brandon leads this valuable team in really overseeing the finances, setting the budget, um, paying the bills, um, making sure that the donations are counted every Sunday, deposited in the bank, and given, uh, given donor records. And besides that, this FAT is, has just seemingly unlimited fountain of wisdom uh, that we draw from continually um, as elders. Um, so Brandon oversees that team, and I asked him for how we can pray for him, and he says, he says, just for ongoing wisdom in stewarding the resources and opportunities that the Lord provides, and what, and that we would use them to serve His will, not ours. A couple of key words: the resources the Lord provides, and that we would use those resources to, for His will, not our will. Patrick Ness is deacon of the CARE team. It's an acronym, C-A-R-E. stands for Comfort, Assist, Respond, and Engage. And as Pat described this ministry, he says, we offer our service, he has a team, he says, we offer our service with comfort, assistance, and emergency response and engagement, even to the point of offering our lives in exchange for even the slightest chance that others might live. So their job is really uh, in a very physical way to protect us, is to mobilize uh, medical experts if something were to happen in here or if there was an intruder of some sort, God forbid, um, to have an exit plan for if there was a fire or an emergency. Patrick and his team do that. And I've got, I've got to say this. I would never have the guts to, I'd never be smart enough to think this up or the guts to say it, but he told me this in the beginning of the service, that, that mind you, his name is Patrick Ness, and he's a deacon. Therefore, he's a deaconess. <laughs> nice, Patrick. I love that. I can't believe that it slipped by me a hundred times. John Norlin is deacon of the compassion team or the benevolence team. And his, his calling, if you will, the team's calling, he's got a team around him as well. And um, Pat said this last service, I'm going to steal his thunder, but John and the team have a heart not just to give financial resources out, but to bring people near to the Lord. Um, we have something called a helping hand fund here. And if you are led at some point to give over and above your normal giving, um, you can actually online um, hit the drop-down box and you can give to the helping hand fund. And it's to meet the physical and temporal needs of the body. And it's been used so many times to pay utility bills, rent, mortgage, um, in a horrible marital situation to actually give the wife uh, a reprieve and protection by having her in a hotel. It's, um, it's for those type of resources. So um, that's John over the compassion team. I asked him how we can pray for him. And he says, may God give us the confidence to offer all of his assets to those in need. And then finally, Josh Timgen, he's deacon of sound and multimedia. And I think that's, it's actually that, that is not robust enough. You do so much more than that. Sound and multimedia has the, the uh, connotation that it's only what happens on Sunday morning. Um, what happens up here and what you hear as a result of Josh's uh, uh, deaconship and, and, and his team, but when we got guests that are using this place, or we got men's retreats, women's retreats, he's also overseeing that, um, uh, researching, installing, and training on new technology inside the building, uploading and organizing Sunday sermons and other events for retreats, conferences, uh, to the website. And I asked him how we can pray for him, and he says... Um, he says, pray for outreach on the podcast. I really like that. I really appreciate that heart. Because Josh isn't just putting the sermons on, 
on, on the website. And he, he's got a heart that they, that they would be heard by those that are perishing without the good news of the gospel. And he says, uh, pray for more servants for this ministry. Pray for future vision of new ways of, of using technology to better serve and better equip the body. Now, I want to invite Pat and the deacons up. And Pat is going to uh, both introduce the deacons so you know who they are and pray for them as well. Give the deacons a round of applause, would you? While Josh is coming down, I, I just want to say a few things. First, how much uh, I appreciate these guys and their, uh, their hearts, their lives, and um, how they are kingdom-minded in these ministries. It's just not about counting money. It's about stewarding mm -hmm. God's provision. And, and I love that you shared, uh, Dan, just uh, John's heart to use the, the resources to not just meet physical needs, mm -hmm. but to advance people in their spiritual walk with the Lord. And uh, uh, Steve McBurney next, uh, just the way he cares for this facility. So we're comfortable and we enjoy uh, being here. It's beautiful and um, it's functional. So thank you for that. Patrick Ness, uh, if you were at our Easter service, uh, I felt totally, completely safe. We were offsite. We were more people. We were lots of different places, but he had six people there to ensure our safety. And, and just that's part of his heart and mindset that we would be safe to advance the gospel and the kingdom. And, and Josh, and just Dan's already said it about the outreach to the, the website. Sometimes over 100 people listen to sermons that are preached here beyond just you hearing them every week. So we praise God for that. So thankful for these guys and, and praise God for using them. Uh, I, I can't tell you as elders how thankful and appreciative we are. They do free us up to give more attention to uh, the word and to prayer. So let's just pray and give thanks for them. Father, we're so grateful for these men. Uh, Lord, uh, so often their service, their ministry is unseen to us, but not to you. God, you see them, and you, you're blessed by their selflessness and their faithfulness and their desire to exalt you through their various ministries, and we rejoice in that. God, I'm so grateful for them. I, I, I just pray that you continue to use them, uh, draw others to them, uh, to help uh, fill out, uh, advance their ministries in the future. Lord, we thank you for all those things. And God, uh, I, I thank you for, for this more than anything, that they're so kingdom-minded. Mm -hmm. They're using what you've put in their hands, the people you've drawn around them to advance the gospel. So continue uh, to do that through them and those that serve alongside them for your glory, honor, and praise. And we give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>